Good morning, everybody. I don't know what to start with first, the prayers or the news. Did anybody talk about the news at breakfast? Okay. Um, Russia has invaded Ukraine. And it's been uh, building up for quite some time uh, with moving about 190,000 Russian troops on three of the borders with three sides of Ukraine. And Putin has been threatening. And uh, his qualm, it seems initially like it was about a NATO expansion and not wanting Ukraine to be part of NATO. It's not part of NATO now, but they don't want it to become part of NATO because in uh, the NATO pact, uh, if one country gets attacked, then all the countries have to defend it. So initially, it's you know, like before everything got really bad the last couple of weeks, um, it seemed like that was Putin's major qualm. But then um, Monday, I think it was, he gave some speech to the Duma, their uh, uh, parliament. And it was all about the historical relationship between Russia and Ukraine, you know, because the Russians centuries ago under one of the czars, I can't remember which one, had taken over that part of the world. And then, of course, um, you know, after the First World War, then there were efforts, you know, in Belarus and Ukraine and the Baltics and all to become their own states. And Lenin seemed to let that happen. And then, of course, um, after World War II, Stalin took them over again. So, uh, so from, you know, for a while, historically, Ukraine has been part of, of the bigger Soviet, well, it was part of the Soviet bloc in the middle of the last century, but before that, very, you know, allied with, uh, Russia or under Russian control. And, uh, you know, then they've, after the Second World War, they became their own country. And that was, seemed fine with everybody. And, uh, the feeling was, especially with NATO, that war in Europe is not going to happen again because, you know, these countries are bounded to get binded together. There's 30 countries in, in NATO right now. And then, of course, the Soviet Union fell apart. So Russia left, lost part of its prominence as a big power. Okay. Uh, you know, and so, you know, all the former Soviet countries became their own nations. So um, that happened in 91. And, but Putin in his long talk was just really going into this. He was hearkening back to this idea of the imperial Russia. 
Okay. Uh, I studied Russian uh, history in college, and uh, there's this certain sense that, you know how each country has its own patriotism based on its history, and, you know, I mean, in this country... The you know, the fact that the country started by a revolution that happened a long time ago, but that history has really affected how people today think. Okay. So Russian history, you know, they were quite a, a big power, but, but in, they were kind of half in Europe and half in Asia. And, uh, they were actually economically and um, uh, industrially behind the West, you know. So, so Peter the Great, you know, tried to remedy a lot of that. But there's always been this feeling, what I've sensed from Russian history is this feeling of... Um, the motherland, you know, and that the climate there is horrendous. You know, if you think it's been cold here the last few days, this is warm. You know, if you go, if you go to Russia and across Siberia and so on. So the people there have this feeling of, you know, deep suffering, but also the ability Ability to bear deep suffering. Yeah. At least that, that's kind of the feeling when you read some of the literature that comes out of, you know, the old Russian literature. Um, so n Putin seems to be, you know, wanting to go back to the dignity of imperial Russia you know, and the power that Russia had as part of the Soviet Union and uh, under some of the czars. Um, and he, he feels like it's his duty to do that. That's his legacy, his place in history, what he wants to contribute to the country, seems like. Yeah? So, uh, you know... He's been sending troops in for uh, for a while yet. Actually, the conflict started eight years ago. <laughs> so from the Ukrainian side, they've been at war, you know, the, in conflict with Russia for the past eight years. Because you may remember in um, Donetsk and Luhansk, I can't remember the name of it, but back in the... I remember Donetsk because I was there. Um, but the uh, two breakaway areas, okay? And I think that's where one of the... There was a plane flying from Europe, you know, that was shot down there. Do you remember some years ago? And uh, the whole... Um, it was shot down, they think, by the separatists using Russian equipment. Of course, they all denied it. Um, it must have been just like a, a bluebird who hit it or something that made it uh, crash. And everybody was killed, 300 and something people. Um, and then a few years ago, they, they took Ukraine 
uh, not Ukraine, the Crimea. And the Crimea had for a long time been separate from, from Russia, but the Russians all like going there because it's nice weather and, you know. So, uh, they took Crimea back. Uh, the West did some sanctions, but basically, you know, nothing, there was a lot of talk, but nothing else. So this, what's happening now, is a much bigger deal, because uh, it started out with, uh, well, we're going to go into those two small breakaway areas, you know, and uh, that have a lot of Russians in it that want to be part of Russia, and... Uh, and, you know, we're going to help them and we're going to send in because they've been battling the Ukrainians who have been dropping bombs and shooting them and everything. So, you know, if you think we have uh, alternative facts here, the Russian media is full of alternative facts. And the Ukrainians haven't. I mean, they're a, they are a weak country. Yeah, they don't have the the power to do anything bad to Russia. So, so, you know, <laughs> so after this speech, uh, you know, where Putin said, uh, you know, we're going to send some people into these two small areas in eastern Ukraine and, and, uh, we're going to send some troops into for peacekeeping purposes. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're not going to, um, occupy or anything, these two small areas, just peacekeeping. Well, just for your amusement in this very dire situation, dear Donnie, when he heard about that, yeah, said, genius, do you see what that man did? It's wonderful. Yeah, he's a genius. He's going in and He's going to protect the peace. And that's wonderful. Yeah. And Pompeo, yeah, said, oh, Putin, very shrewd, very, uh, you know, uh, clever, intelligent statesperson, you know? Yes. And the, the rush, the right wing media, I talked to one of our neighbors recently. The story there is that Biden is the one stirring up the whole thing between Ukraine and Russia uh, because Biden's poll numbers have gone down. So he wants to start something up because then it makes him look strong. But actually... Um, you know, it's all the U.S. who is doing the antagonism there. Yeah. Very interesting, isn't it? I mean, Russia used to be our big enemy. And now parts of the Republican Party are siding with Russia over this. <laughs> so, last night... You know, Putin made another statement and, uh, and then the, uh, the assault started. Okay. Biden has called it an invasion. The U.S. press has called it attacks. 
It looks to me when you look at a map, it's an invasion. Yeah, because they are sending not only by air, yeah, from Belarus, Russian planes are taking off by air, attacking Ukraine. Also, um, they're sending troops and munitions in to those eastern provinces, yeah, where with the separatists, where they are now going to liberate the rest of um, of eastern Ukraine, and also from uh, in Odessa and the Black Sea, bringing in navy kind of things and troops that way. So uh, it, the assault started last night. Um, there's been bombing close to Kiev and Kharkiv, and you look at the map all over, all over, all regions have been, have faced uh, airstrikes. So it seems like the Ukrainians didn't really expect this to happen. Over the last few weeks, they were, you know, just kind of going about life as normal. Zelensky, their president, he was on top of it. He recognized the danger. But, uh, you know, this morning when they woke up, well, they, well, some of them woke up in the middle of the night because the, the sound, uh, then now people are fleeing. And, uh, of course, the airports are closed. Um, so, and the train system is not running properly. So people, there's a long line of cars, you know, even starting, I mean, in the early morning there, they're 10 hours ahead of us. So it would be, what, 7, 7.15 there. Yeah. No, they're nine hours ahead of us. Sorry. Yeah. So seven seven fifteen. So in the evening. So, uh, you know, they jumped in the cars as best as they could, tried to get some money out of the ATMs, and people are fleeing. There's not enough transportation for all the people who want to leave. And so many of them, you know, they're just packing, uh, you know, one small suitcase and they're going and uh, they have no idea if when they're coming back. Um, it's kind of like when China invaded Tibet, you have this huge country invading something, you know, people that can't possibly defend themselves. So the Ukrainians are trying, you know, and they have some stuff, but I mean, the Russian military, we all know is, yeah. And then Putin has also started saying, uh, oh, this, this is a great one. Um, we're not, we don't, our purpose is not to occupy Ukraine. We don't want to occupy Ukraine. Yeah. So my interpretation, of course they don't want to occupy Ukraine. They're going to annex it. Yeah. You occupy country, land that isn't yours, but they want to annex the whole thing. And it's not just about the two eastern small areas. It's about the whole of Ukraine. What? Annex means that you take it and you make it part of your own country. 
because Putin's, Putin's been saying it's part of Russia anyway. Yeah, and Lenin kind of gave it away, and Khrushchev gave away the Crimea, but they're actually part of Russia. Not the Soviet Union, Russia. Okay, so, um, yeah, so it's, it's, people are terrified there. Um, our response, yeah, American response, is sanctions. Um, Putin's, I mean, Putin, Biden has been on top of it. He's been talking about this uh, in the media for a long time. And what's very interesting is he says everything that the Russians are going to do before the Russians do it. Yeah. So he's kind of spilling the beans and showing that U.S. intelligence knows what is going on. But the Russians don't. Okay. So also uh, Biden said, and the whole EU and NATO is we're not sending troops there. Yeah. People from our countries are not going to fight in Ukraine. Yeah. It's not a, NATO country. We're Ukraine's friends, but we're not going to send our people to die there. So that leaves militarily. I mean, they'll send equipment and stuff like that, probably. But um, the U.S. has been sending uh, troops there to the NATO countries. And so uh, today, I mean, they're sending a bunch of more troops to Poland and especially to um, to Lithuania, and the, they'll be sending more to the Baltics. The people in the Baltic states are probably terrified right now because, you know, Russia um, just marched right over them, you know, several times in history. Yeah, just what... And, you know, I mean, they're, they're like this big and Russia's this big. So, uh, but they're NATO. They're NATO. So I bet you they're really happy about that. But, um, you know, they must be terrified. And, uh, you know, Ukraine has borders with Poland and Romania and Belarus, which is Putin's friend now. And, uh, I think, Moldova, and I think Slovenia, and maybe uh, Slovakia, but around that area, and I said Romania. Um, Yeah, so, uh, and the Chinese are acting like they're very surprised by this all. They they had a, a meeting, Xi and Putin, after the Olympics, in which they pledged, you know, you know, uh, like opening the an unlimited friendship between our countries, um, and China is walking this this border because they, you know, they don't like the idea of one country uh, occupying another country uh, because that kind of uh, shows what they've done. Okay. <laughs> You know, and so they have to criticize that uh, because also they have their eye on taking back 
uh, Taiwan. And they're like Russia, claiming Ukraine's part of them. Taiwan is part of China. So we're, you know, I mean, who knows what's going to go on there. Okay. But, um, yeah. So it's upsetting the whole world order, yeah, in terms of security. Because people are going, we never imagined another a war in Europe. You know, I mean, this kind of violence in Europe, because it was so awful during the Second World War. I mean, awful beyond belief. And then the, you know, what they set up afterwards was really good. It's been peaceful in Europe since, since 45. So that's, that's good for Europe because they used to kill it, be killing each other every generation, usually, uh, over God you know, who, whose church was right. But it's you, it's, it, that's how they mobilize people is by evoking religion, but it's usually about resources and power. Um, yeah, so U.S. response. So some sanctions started uh, yesterday, the day before. Yeah, but... And then the U.S. is is saying, you know, he's probably going to start an invasion within the next 48 hours. Sure enough, they did. So, uh, you know, they're preparing more sanctions. Yeah. And the idea is to really hurt the Russia economically. But when you, the economy, the global economy is very interdependent and um so Russia's already feeling it, but it's going to affect us and it's going to affect Europe too, especially because um Russia is a big source of natural gas and petroleum for Europe, for heating, for vehicles, for everything. So they had this big, it's called Nord 2, this huge project of um, putting a pipeline under the ground to take uh, ga- natural gas and petroleum to Europe. And it was on the verge of being approved by Germany, you know, and Germany stopped, stopped it. So it's been finished since September. I don't know how many billions of dollars uh, and I don't know who paid for it, which side paid for it. But anyway, Germans are going to be dealing with this. Okay. A lot of the gas, natural gas and petroleum are going through, uh, pipes in Ukraine to Europe. So that's going to have an effect. Um, yeah. So the, the U.S. was targeting banks and, also very wealthy oligarchs who are the people who support Putin. Yeah, a lot of them work in the government or financially support what he's doing. 
So that's where the sanctions were a couple of days ago. The, the U.S. has been preparing more sanctions because I think they knew this was going to happen. Those are going to be announced probably today and take effect tomorrow. Other countries are applying sanctions to, you know, the U.N. has met a couple of times. Um, they don't do sanctions, I don't think. They just disapprove. But, um, you know, of what another country's doing. Other NATO countries and EU countries are applying sanctions. They started doing that when the U.S. started, and they're continuing with that. So um, the stock market here went down. The Russian stock market went down even more. Okay, and their idea is to cut Russia off from the financial markets in the West, yeah, which they need because of trade to be able to send money back and forth. So, um, you know, stopping that ability to do that. And that's what some of the up, they tinged that a little bit with the one, the previous um, sanctions. The upcoming ones are going to hit that a lot more. And uh, yeah. So to to really hurt financial hurt them financially. Have you or anyone in the community heard from Julia? Yes, we're in touch with Julia. We've been in touch with Julia this week. Okay, so you've been in touch with her. I've written her. I wrote her again this morning. She said that her town has been calm so far, although there have been strikes near it. We saw that on one of the maps. But she said so far. Her place is calm, but she's, her bags are packed. And then they're telling all the Ukrainians, they had pictures of some of the, the Ukrainian troops a couple of days ago. A lot of them, they're in their fifties. You know, I suppose they have some young ones, but the ones I looked at, I don't know if any of you saw the photos, but they, they, some of them had gray hair and, you know, You could tell they've been watching a lot of soccer games. <laughs> yeah, you know, you drink beer and watch soccer games and your body changes. Okay? So, so yeah. Um, you know, and, and so Ukraine has declared emergency. You know, they're in a state of emergency. Um, yeah, the, the EU is planning on millions of refugees flowing in. You know, already people are going into Poland just, you know, and they don't need a pass, uh, a visa to go from Ukraine into Poland, you know. Um, yeah. So this is the world we live in. Um, we created the karma to be alive during this time. It is a full-blown Lamrim teaching about ignorance, anger, and attachment. Yeah, if you had any doubt before that ignorance, anger, and attachment are the root of suffering, this should cure that doubt. Okay, so it's not just other people's ignorance, anger, and attachment, you know, It's ours too, okay? Because as long as we have the seeds of those afflictions in our mind, you put us in certain situations 
and who knows how we'll act and what alternative facts we may believe, okay, and how we may all of a sudden have this uh, flooring of, you know, patriotism for all glory and, you know, anyway, um, yeah, you don't know how your own mind is going to react unless you have very strong practice now, you know, and very firm precepts and vows in your own mind, regardless of the precepts you've taken, you know, of what you are willing to do and what you're not willing to do in these kind of situations. Yeah. Russia has made very threatening remarks towards anybody who interferes with what they're doing, uh, reminding the world that they are one of the major nuclear powers. They said that today. Yeah. So it's kind of like threatening, you know, nuclear or whatever. Um, And, I mean, this so much echoes back to how World War II started, because Hitler went into Czechoslovakia, yeah, the West, Chamberlain especially, and UK, you you appease them. You, you, you know, well, Czechoslovakia, it's small. Sure, they occupy it. Yeah, that's okay. And then they weren't, they didn't, they weren't satisfied with Czechoslovakia. They started going into all of the Eastern European countries. Then they occupied France. Yeah. And they were bombing, you know, Britain like, like there was no tomorrow and there almost wasn't one. I mean, Britain suffered horribly during the war. Um, and, and another part of the political thing is, is uh, Putin thinks that the U.S. won't do anything militarily because uh, they, you know, um, what happened in Syria. I'm just talking politics. My internal viewpoint is something totally different than the political scene, okay? Like, yeah, you don't hurt anybody for any reason, period. Get out of there. Mind your own business. Help people, okay? Um, But uh, where was I? <laughs> uh, theory, uh, yes. So we had a red line of uh, uh, not using chemical re- uh, weapons. Yeah. The, um, what's his name? Bashar, you know, in, in um, Syria. Huh? Huh? Assad. Yeah, Bashar was his first name. Yeah, I, ta- I call these guys by their first name. <laughs> Yeah, so Bashar Assad, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're on good terms. I mean, I pray for them, so. Um, so he crossed that line, but, and we had said it was a red line, but we didn't do anything militarily for it, you know. So, uh, and so in several instances like that, then 
then uh, so Putin thinks, you know, U.S. isn't going to do anything militarily. And they think we have faulty information because of uh, the, the Iraq war, where supposedly we thought there were weapons of mass destruction where there weren't one. So that means the, the U.S. intelligence is, you know, faulty. So he doesn't really think the U.S. is going to do anything. And I don't think the U.S. will do anything militarily either, because who wants to start up something with, with Russia, with any nuclear power, you know, I mean, it's insanity to do something like that. So I think, you know, Putin, uh, will probably have his dream, dream and annex Ukraine, but it will, it's going to change the whole world order, um, in terms of security in Europe, you know, which influences us here. And then it also, um, you know, influences what will happen on the Asian side, too, because China's coming up as a big power. And Singapore is like this big, you know. <laughs> but they have a military. I heard their planes flying across every morning when I took a walk. Yeah. Um, yeah, all the time you hear the Singapore planes. Um, but yeah, so the whole, the reason I'm going into details to give you how this, how this relates to Dharma, okay, is a few ways. Historically, you see how things developed historically, how causes and conditions of what happened in the past influence what's happening today, how what happened in the past influences people's concepts of their place in the world and how they relate to other people. Just as in our short history as human beings, what we experienced early in our lives influence how we look at the world now. Okay, so to see, uh, yeah, just causes and conditions functioning, dependent arising functioning, that things don't happen out of nowhere. Sometimes they seem to, but that's because a lot of small causes have been ripening and getting together, and we didn't notice that because there wasn't something big. Uh, but then, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back, the last condition that brings it, and then you have an explosion. Um, so to, to think about this in terms of karma, you know, to think about it in terms of, uh, and, and so to our own, you know, our karma, how karma operates, to think about it in terms of how the mind conceptualizes things and how our conceptualization influences how we see the situation and the emotions that we create because of that. And then, you know, as we've studied, ignorance afflictions, karma, okay? And so 
all of that influences the actions we take. Karma is just our actions of body, speech, and mind. Okay? So, to, to really see how afflictions, especially ignorance, lie behind uh, everything that's happening. Yeah? And how this faulty conceptualization, we sometimes translate it as uh, inappropriate attention, distorted conception, okay? Um, uh, another term is proliferations. Yeah, so this kind of thing where, yeah, our mind proliferates with all sorts of wrong ideas, wrong interpretations. Uh, and of course, we think they're right because we can see that in our own lives, can't we? Yeah, somebody does some small thing to us and we start developing in our mind, you know, That person, they're bossing me around. They're attacking me. They don't respect me. They think I'm their slave. I've got to stand up to this, you know. And maybe all they did is ask us to do something. Yeah. But then that triggers something that is a a habitual uh, way of seeing things in us. And then, woo, the, the afflictions arise, the actions the karma follows, and we're off and running, you know. So how we conceptualize things and our habitual way of doing it, the thoughts we have about who we are, what our identity is, and what our role is. As an individual, we can see how those conceptions influence how we act and how, you know, but on a national level too, yeah, on a group level, on a racial level, on a religious level, however any group, you know, develops their identity and who they think they are, they don't see it as something created by the mind. They see it as this is who we are. So, you know, I think Putin genuinely believes that NATO is a threat and genuinely believes that uh, that Ukraine is part of Russia, okay? But of course, other people in other places don't have that same kind of conceptualization and they don't have the same kind of attachment to it, yeah? And America, you know... we're kind of, we, we feel always very kind of secure. We've never had an international war here, except, you know, War of 1812, the British bombed the capital. But all, we had the Civil War. There's been, you know, the war where we took Texas and, you know, but basic, basically, we don't have a lot of fighting on our own territory. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and this is what was really shocking about the terrorist attacks. It's like, wait a minute, this doesn't happen here in this country. Yeah, we kill each other, but, you know, nobody. Or or the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, but that was like, 
you know, how many thousands of miles away, and Hawaii wasn't a state at that time, I don't think. Yeah, I think it was a possession so of the U.S., but not a state. I, you know, so anyway, we have, huh? So, yeah, yeah, we annexed. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they annexed Washington State. I mean, the, the, the settlers annexed the whole country, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. They came here and said, this is ours, so, you know. Yeah, aren't you happy? Oh. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so so we have this feeling like the violence is not going to happen here. And that influences how and you know, we we're very fortunate that we have good neighbors who don't attack us even though we often aren't very nice to them. Although, although what's happening this weekend, supposedly, but I think it's going to be overpowered by what's happening in Ukraine, is the Americans are playing copycat to the Canadians. You're American now, so, you know, those Canadians, what they, yeah, what they did. Yeah, yeah, those Canadians, you know, they... They took all these trucks and drove them across the country and parked them in the middle of the capital and other major cities and stopped traffic and, you know, created a mess for three weeks. Okay. So the, the American truckers, you know, and they're trying, they want to do that in D.C. Okay. Were the Canadians um, mimicking the, the Indian farmers who drove their tractors to the capital? Oh, is that it? Yeah. Oh, so this is the Canadians weren't even uh, uh, innovative in. in <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the U.S. now is just playing copycat back. Yeah. So, yeah. Then, so to see how our conceptualization and you know retreat is such a wonderful opportunity, you know, because you look at. You know, the different people, oh, this person in the Abbey has more power than that person. Yeah. We know who has more power, who has more say-so. <laughs> yeah, she, she has gone on the offensive and occupied some of Upeka's sleeping spaces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh really? She came into your into the bedroom. Really? Karuna had gotten onto the bed in the afternoon. I shoot her out, and then Mudita came in finally. She wasn't in all day because Venerable Japa wasn't there. Karuna came in, jumped onto the bed, and Mudita gave her a swat right across the face and sent her flying out the door. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, you know, here you see it, you know, Becca is just, he's just this big soft push around, you know, <laughs> and uh, Karuna, who, you know, she's so clever, doesn't, she's just this tiny cat, very sweet, you know, gets along with everybody. She's the only cat who gets along with the three others. 
The three others, none of them get along with each other. She's the only one who gets along. But she's so clever. She gets along, and then she sneaks in and takes over their stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, a mudita wouldn't have any of it, and... You know, Upeka just said, well, whatever. You know, I still have uh, her laugh, you know. <laughs> but that's where the line is, <laughs> you know. You don't stop there. You, you don't go on, on beyond that. Although didn't Karuna go up on your lap, lap last week? Yeah. So, yeah, so to, to see how... We look, who has power? How do we act around the people who has power? Who can we say what to? Yeah, who is sensitive about this and that? And how we develop our own, uh, you know, intelligence agency, seeing who's doing what and who's reacting to what. And then we plot when we want to get something done who to tell and who not to tell and how to do it. Yeah? So this is, is this, it's the same dynamic that goes on, uh, you know, at group levels and at international levels. Yeah. And it, it starts from this, the root is, you know, grasping at an inherently existent I. Because as soon as there's an inherently existing me, then there's other. Yeah. As soon as and and as soon as there's me, it's how am I going to get happy happiness? How am I going to defend what I have? How am I going to avoid suffering? And other is what threatens us. And then how it threatens us, you know, there's history involved. And then we project that out on the other people. Yeah? Okay. So you know if you wanted to do something. You ask venerable children these things. She's a sucker for that. Yeah. But other things you ask venerable Chuni for because she's a sucker for that one. And other things you go to venerable Semke for because she's a sucker for those. Okay. And, uh, right? Yeah. So you know who to ask. It's like when we were kids. You knew. Do you ask mom or ask dad for certain things? Yeah. Who who's going to be the one that lets you get your way? My parents, they were really difficult because they they had an alliance and they <laughs> talked about this beforehand that if one of them says no, the other one does not contradict. So I could not play one parent against the other one. You know, if I went and said, Dad said I could do it, Mom said, yeah, right. You know, I don't think so. And she was right. But, um, <laughs> you know, so to watch, you know, microcosm, macrocosm, and it's the same, uh, the same dynamic, okay? And so what can we do about it? I mean, our hearts are going out. We, we have lots of friends there and supporters there. And I've been to Russia 
how many times to teach? Three? Four? I don't know, quite a number of times to teach. You know, Venerable Tenzin's been here. Yeah, Venerable uh, Tenpa has been here. Yeah, so we have a close connection. And um, they asked me a long time ago, it was even before Trump came into power, to write this prayer uh, asking for Tara's protection. I think we have copies of it downstairs. Yeah. And so they were thinking of Putin, and then it, it was like all you do is uh, put Trump in there. It's the same thing. Yeah. But, it, yeah, really. Uh, so we have a lot of connections to those people. I mean, I stayed with them when I was in Russia, and I stayed, you know, I stayed in their homes, and I got to know them. And, um, yeah. From both Ro- Russia and Ukraine, they're participating in retreat from afar. Yeah. We have folks that are, yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah, we have people from both countries. Yeah. So this is what makes the whole thing so stupid. Yeah. It's as individuals, we are friends. Yeah. Venerable Tenzin wanted very much to, to be here for the winter retreat. He couldn't get a visa because of some spat between the U.S. and Moscow. But... um You know, on individual levels, we are friends with so many people. And then, you know, the countries, the governments make the problem. And uh, the people who make the problem are very well protected from any harm. They are in, you know, Putin is in his... Uh, you know, in Moscow or whatever his residences are, surrounded by lots of army, eating very nice food, uh, you know, very comfortable. And he's the one sending out all the young kids to go risk their life to kill people they don't even know. Okay, fighting for an idea, the motherland. Okay, so, uh, you know, when you really look at, at what lies behind international relationships, it's, you know, how, how the ordinary people are used by the people in power, yeah, and manipulated and deceived to believe, to, believe certain things, and then be willing to go to war to fight over it. So, yeah, what can we do about it? Well, we have to start with our own minds. Yeah, and, you know, who's Ukraine in our own mind? Who's Putin in our own mind? Yeah, what's going on? Who are we attacking? How are we... Uh, being paranoid, yeah. So a lot of people are saying that that Putin is. I mean, he's very paranoid now. Um, yeah, looks like that. Putin's never looked like a happy person to me. Yeah, he's never looked like a happy person. Um, so 
you know, to to see what's going on in our mind, to, to make sure we don't come up, become a party to anything big like that, or that we don't become a party to anything small and creating turmoil in any kind of group of, of people, you know. And so if you're lacking things to purify, think about previous lives where you could have been some... You know, you could have been one of the czars or one of the presidents or one of the dictators and uh, caused havoc in multiple people's lives over your own uh, desire for power coming from insecurity. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, surely we've been born as all those kinds of people, as army generals, as uh, spies as everything. So to, to really think of you know, whatever karma lies in our mind from rebirths where we've harmed others, you know, in that way, even a great number of other people, um, you know, do some purification about that. And then, um, to spread the Dharma to other living beings. Now, so do something with our own mind and then be able to support the Dharma uh, and spread the Dharma to other living beings, teaching them how to manage their own afflictions. Yeah, how to subdue the afflictions. And it starts with ethical conduct. And then, you know, we go through, you know, ethical conduct at the beginning level and then middle level, advanced level, and, uh, you know, how so much of the path, um, yeah, I mean, the whole path, what is it, the summary version, uh, do not harm others, uh, benefit others, <laughs> yeah, this is, it's inscribed in Ananda on the Tanka from um, His Holiness, yeah, which has His Holiness's uh, handprints on the back of it. You know, that verse we recited at Posada every two weeks. So, um, yeah, that's what our work is, what we can do. Yeah. And, and if you are feeling sorry for yourself for any reason, just imagine um, being in in uh, Ukraine right now. Yeah. Or imagine uh, being one of those kids on either side, whether Ukrainian kids, Russian kids, you know, who have been sent. You know, I mean, they're kids. They're 18, 19, and they're sent off to war to die and to kill. Yeah. For... Who knows what kind of reason? Yeah. If we see a lot of these, um, like paranoid proliferations, assuming people have bad motivations, is that related to our own past negative actions? Yeah. I think, I think there's a definite link. And it's like a karmic result. Yeah. You know, when you harm others, then then you're very familiar with harming others. And that's going on in your mind. And how can I harm others? How can I harm others? So then, of course, you become paranoid. How are they going to harm me? <laughs> you know? 
I just want to let people know too that Venerable Tenzin, I believe, started a prayer group on Tuesdays. Yes. They teach a lot of people in the Ukraine as well. So it's a space yeah. where the Russians and Ukrainian Dharma friends have been doing prayers for peace for quite some time. I don't know if that can continue because, like Julia, I think is offline for now. Is looking. No, for no, she said. She, I mean, I heard from her this morning. Okay. Yeah, and the line; those lines are still there. She doesn't know for how long. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Because the, you know, I mean, one of the big ways to harm is because uh, there's also been cyber attacks in mm-hmm. in Ukraine, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if they ranked up if they. Uh, racked up the the cyber attacks here too, because uh, Moscow is really saying the U.S. is behind the whole thing. Yeah, but we knew that already, you know. And I was touched that our friend <laughs> Peter, Peter, who is fluent in Russian, joined the group yeah, too. Yeah, so that's nice. Yeah. So these are all people who work on our on the website. Yeah, and they know each other. Yeah. Venerable Tenzin said, we just did elaborated prayers for peace. We finished a moment ago. Sixty people joined. Wow. He's online right now? Yes. Oh, my goodness. I've been thinking of you guys so much the last few days and have wanted to write, and I haven't written. Anyway, thank you for being online. He says hi. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And... Yeah, it would be good to have you here. Um, so, wow, that's nice. So, Venerable Tenzin, please give our love to all the people there, all the Dharma friends there. You know, I feel very much kind of related to all of them. Because, I mean, yeah, like I said, I know them and... We've practiced together and done lots of stuff together. Okay, so to make it look like this is a teaching on Shantideva, uh, which all of the above was, yeah, I mean, we just finished the the chapter on fortitude, so... uh, and now the whole section on uh, chapter seven, you know, overcoming the um, the hindrances to practicing uh, um, joyous effort, yeah. And one of the biggest hindrances, the f- the first one they hit is laziness, yeah. And then we have attraction to basically to fun. Yeah, but it's attraction to keeping ourselves the busiest of the busy, and then um, uh, and then discouragement. So we're on the first one of laziness. We started that briefly last time, and here Shanti Deva is talking about death as the anti, then the remembrance of death as the antidote to um, to the laziness of procrastination. Okay, Uh, so here you think, you know, and this is part of the thing. Like I said, in America, we feel very, very venerable, cozy, venerable, very cozy. You know, we don't expect tanks to come up uh, country lane anytime soon. Yeah, but imagine being in another country, yeah, where there, 
I mean, there are tanks in in going into some of the cities. There were videos online of, you know, just armored vehicles, one after the other, after the other, after the other, going into Ukraine. Like World War II. What? Sorry, it's just like images of World War II. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the Russians are are doing an all-out thing. You know, they're they're not piddling around. This is, yeah. So I shouldn't say the Russians. I should say Putin. Because yeah. <laughs> it's not the Russians. Yeah. It's a certain group of people who have a lot of power. So, um, so imagine being in that country where, you know, death could happen today or tomorrow. You know, and if not death, you're displaced or you're injured. Okay. Or imagine being one of those people who's conscripted. You know, most those people don't have any knowledge of the Dharma and how to work with their mind in that situation. Yeah. So uh, here we have the Dharma. We know how to work with our mind. Now we have the refuge. So, um, you know, this is something that you see really benefited the Tibetans when, when China, the, the communist China, uh, walked through Tibet. They just kind of took a stroll through. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, the, the ever, uh, pre- the ever presence of, of the Lord of Death. So there's not an actual Lord of Death. We're anthropomorphizing him, <laughs> anthropomorphizing it <laughs> to make it a him or maybe a her if we want to be general. You know, usually it's a him, you know. We should be gender, gender equal here. Um, okay. But to, to think about it. So... Let's just go back to verse 3. Because of attachment to the pleasurable taste of idleness, because of craving for sleep, and because of having no disillusionment with the misery of cyclic existence, laziness grows very strong. So why are we lazy? Why do we, you know, we can't make it to the meditation cushion. Uh, We can't. Uh, you know, study. We may have lined out a whole program for ourselves, what we're going to do, but we can't get around to doing it. Okay, so here are the causes. So these are good things to look at during the retreat. Attachment to the pleasurable state of idleness. So look at your own mind. How, what is the pleasurable state of idleness for you? Okay, what are you doing in your pleasurable state of idleness? Yeah, are you a couch potato watching football? You know, are you thumbing through fashion magazines? Are you uh, walking, strolling the mall, window shopping? Are you playing poker? Yeah, are you going to Vegas? You know, maybe playing blackjack? Or uh, maybe mahjong, yeah, or playing bridge, you know. What is your version 
of the pleasurable taste of idleness. Yeah. Lying on the beach. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in California. (laughs) I know all about that one. Yeah. Or maybe you don't have the Pacific Ocean, but there's a lake. Yeah. There's a river. You go, yeah, to the beach. You go skiing. Yeah. So... Pleasurable taste of idleness. Those, some of those activities are the ones of keeping ourselves the busy of the busy. So they kind of fall in both categories. Because of craving for sleep. Anybody here crave sleep? Do you have enough sleep during the retreat? I mean, you get plenty during your meditation sessions. <laughs> yeah. But still... At night, you're exhausted. Want to go to sleep. Uh-huh. And like I said last week, you know, the pleasure, you know, the pleasurable taste of sleep, and you aren't even awake to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because you're asleep for how many hours? When you wake up in the morning, do you feel, oh, I just had six hours of complete pleasure? No, there's no feeling of yeah but boy come the evening we don't need to turn, tell anybody here to turn out their lights yeah most Maybe of the one. huh oh yes one <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh yeah but, um, yeah, most of the other places I've lived, communities, I mean, you have to set a light out, time for lights out, and then really make people have lights out. Here, that has never been a problem. <laughs> never. You know, I think one time, one time there were two people talking in each other's room. Somebody had to go in and tell them to be quiet. But aside for that, yeah. Because of craving for sleep. And because, so check that out in your meditation. And because of having no disillusionment with the misery of cyclic existence. Yeah, no disillusionment with cyclic existence. Yeah, we just want to tweak our samsara and make it a little bit nicer. But we're not disillusioned with it at all. Because if we were disillusioned, you know, we're actually afraid of being disillusioned with samsara. Because if we're disillusioned, then we aren't going to have any happiness. Yeah, because renunciation is going to take away all of our happiness. And this is one of the, the biggest misconceptions that people have. Yeah is thinking that we're renouncing pleasure when instead we're renouncing dukkha. Okay? So we think that if I have disillusionment with samsara, you know, then where am I going to get any happiness? We don't think that there's the possibility of any kind of happiness beyond samsara because all we've ever had is samsaric happiness and we can't imagine anything greater. So we don't look for anything greater. 
and we just stay stuck in craving chocolate, you know, and our particular version of chocolate, yeah, whatever that is. Okay, chocolate is a fill-in-the-blank, you know, for whatever it is that, that you really take delight in and want to have, yeah. And then what's so amazing is the things we take delight in and crave and want to have, yeah, somebody else looks at that and says, huh, yeah, what's so nice about that? Okay, so we we were just talking about the kitties, what the kitties were craving for, okay, yeah. Do you crave to sleep in that? basket? <laughs> Do you have any interest in sleeping in, in uh, Upeka's basket? Yeah? Of taking it over? Yeah? No, it's like, why are you so attached? Why do you want to, you know, Apeka, why are you so attached to that basket? And Karuna, why do you want to take it over? It's like, it's just a basket. You could sleep anywhere. Yeah. So we look at what other people are attached to and say, huh? But the things we're attached to, we do not see as attachment. We see it as need. Yeah. It's not wants. It's needs. It's must have. It is absolute happiness from top to bottom. Okay? So think of of how you relate to the things that, that you're attached to. Yeah? Do we have any disillusionment with samsara? Or are we really just trying to tweak it? I thought I shared this at this moment because it was an eye-opener for me. Um, you know, as a true Colombian, I was very attached to soccer. And last time I went to visit Adriana, it just happened to be a soccer game between Brazil, which is Adriana's boyfriend's team, and Colombia, which is, of course, our team. And <laughs> it was like we were so... Um, excited to all three be watching the game together. And it's like Adrian and I rooting for Colombia and he's rooting from Brazil. And so the game starts and I don't know exactly how many minutes it took, but all of a sudden I start looking at the game and thinking, wow, this is stupid. (laughs) (laughs) What did I ever see in this? It was like, and then I couldn't believe that I myself was looking at it in that way. He's like, wait, wait a minute, when did, when, when did this happen? <laughs> How did I manage to lose my interest in soccer? <laughs> and then, but I stayed there and watched it simply because I was trying to like get where, what has changed in my mind that all of a sudden I'm not into, you know how you get into something yeah. and you're like living it and I was just like, I am not into this. And it was, it was an eye opener. It yeah. was an incredible, it was an, it was an experience. <laughs> I don't give a care yeah. where this ball goes anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. When you look at, at most of sports that people are so excited, it's all over where you put a ball. And it's just, 
people get so excited. Yeah. We had somebody come here. Oh, was it Stretch? You remember Stretch? And he, he was a, he was like the super tall guy. That's right. His nickname was Stretch. But he coached. Um, I forget what it was t- football or soccer or something. You know, like locally with the, with the kids. You know, the kids team. And he was saying that. Uh, you know, he was coaching them and, of course, getting the kids into it. And and one time in the middle of a game, you know, he kind of stood up and said, this is all about where a ball is. This is dumb. And then he said, next minute, I was completely back into it. Go, guys, come on, catch that ball, kick that ball, do this, do that. And he said, all of the, you know, it was like everybody there was so into it. And, uh he had one moment of, you know, huh? And then totally back into it. Okay. <laughs> okay, then verse 4. Enmeshed in the snare of disturbing conceptions, I have entered the snare of birth. Why am I still not aware that I live in the mouth of the Lord of death? Okay. Disturbing conceptions, all these interpretations of how we think the world functions. Who's an enemy? Who's a friend? Who has power? Who are we going to know? Brown nose up to? Who are we going to fight with? Okay. Um, so due to all of that, created karma. Here I am, got reborn again. And what's the cause of death? Birth. Okay, so like I was saying last time, the only thing we have to do is die. Everything else we do is actually uh, optional. When you think about it, absolutely everything else is optional. The only thing that is definitely going to happen in our life is death. Okay, so why are we not aware of that? Yeah. Well, some of the reasons came in the previous verse. So to really think about those reasons, you know, what keeps us blind. Also, you know, it's not just the attachment that keeps us blind. It's this fear that I was talking about before, that if we really see samsara for what it is, it's going to be so terrifying that I'm going to be overwhelmed. If we, if I really see samsaric pleasure for what it is and give it up, I won't have any happiness. I'll just be there with the horror of samsara. And I don't want to just face the horror. horror. There's enough horror already. Okay. So we have to, to, that's a big stumbling block, I think. So we have to recognize that there is another state of happiness and joy beyond samsara. And the Buddha does that first by talking about the the states uh, of the meditative stabilizations in the form and formless realms. Okay? And he promotes gaining single-pointed concentration and 
experiencing the pleasure of these kinds of things because it gives people some view of happiness that's much greater than desire realm happiness. Okay. Then, yeah, we shouldn't stop there. If we stop there, then we get hooked in samsara again. But to realize, you know, the, the bliss of, and here's where Bodhicitta really comes in. You know, last weekend, uh, weekend Geshe Tafke talked about the benefits of Bodhicitta. You know, he talked a lot about happiness, didn't he? In talking about the ben- Bod- Bodhicitta, you know, he's talking about all the amazing happiness that is derived from having Bodhicitta. He didn't say, you have great compassion for everybody, and so you're going to cry and cry and cry because you can't stand to see them suffer and you feel helpless. You know, that kind of way of relating to compassion keeps us from generating compassion because we think if I'm compassionate, I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to be weak and I'm going to be miserable. Yeah, because I'm just going to cry from seeing everybody else suffer, you know. So we have to reform our ideas, you know. No, compassion can bring joy to the mind. Bodhicitta brings a sense of purpose, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of meaning in our life. And I think having that sense of of fulfillment and meaning is much more, brings much more satisfaction and joy than ice cream or soccer or sex or, you know, whatever else it is. Okay? But so we, this whole thing, that first chapter is very important because it really shows us, oh, there's happiness beyond desire realm happiness. And there's happiness beyond form and formless realm happiness. Okay. And it's a different kind of happiness. And we can get little glimpses of that kind of happiness. Yeah. You may have had it in retreat. Every time you put down a little bit of anger, every time you let go of anger, even a little bit towards one person, and forgive that person, or every time you forgive yourself, there's a feeling of happiness, isn't there, that comes in your mind. Yeah. It's not the giddy kind of happiness of, you know, oh, I got my way, they're going to change the schedule at the Abbey finally. You know, it's not that kind of happiness. But it's a different kind. Yeah. Because when we hold on to anger and grudges and so on, our mind is not peaceful. No. And there's, there's a certain kind of joy that comes when the mind is just peaceful. Yeah. And with a peaceful mind comes self-confidence that we can handle things. With an angry mind, with a greedy mind then we're always putting ourselves in conflict situations. And of course, in conflict situations, we could lose. 
So there's insecurity, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. When we're greedy and we're trying to get something, we could not get it. And that breeds insecurity. When the mind is peaceful, then it's, you know, it's like, if I get it, great. If I don't get it, great. You know? You may have preferences, but your mind isn't a yo-yo about the whole thing. Okay? So to, to really think about what does happiness mean and what are the different kinds of happiness. Okay? So, and that gives us a sense of, okay, I'm going to work for those higher kinds of happiness. I'm not going to get stuck in samsaric happiness. Yeah, because samsaric happiness is totally unreliable. It depends. Why is it unreliable? It depends on external things. Yeah, and it also depends on my bonkers fiddle mind. Okay, and so external things are changing. Their nature is impermanent. There's no way they can bring ultimate satisfaction. It's impermanent. Possible. Even, you know, if you're the Chakravartan king, you know, who has more power than, you know, the leaders of China, Russia, and America put together, and Singapore, and Colombia, and, you know, oh, that place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, well, do you know? He's having problems nowadays. Yeah. I think Trudeau's kind of nice. He's very handsome, isn't he? But... (laughs) But... That's what he excels at. Yeah. Yeah. So... (laughs) Yeah, but a lot of Canadians don't like him right now. Yeah, there's a lot of people mad at him, you know, because these truck drivers came in. And I don't know what they expected him to do with all these trucks. I mean, you park a truck in the middle of the city. What's the, you know, president? He's a prime minister. What's he supposed to do, you know? (laughs) Take out his keys and drive it away? I mean, these, yeah, I mean, they really just literally park trucks in the middle of the city and nobody can move. Yeah, for three weeks, basically. Yeah, they block the border between the U.S. and Canada. So, you know, so it was very inconvenient for Detroit, which makes cars that depend on things that are going back and forth with Canada. So, you know, anyway, we'll let Trudeau have his problems. <laughs> yeah. Um Okay, but what I'm saying is, is, you know, you can think, oh, if I were very powerful, then I could make everything go the way I wanted to. There's no way. There's no way in samsara. It doesn't matter how much power you have to make everything happen the way you want to. Yeah, that is impossible. Why? Because everything is in constant flux and constant change. 
Why? Because we cannot control all the causes and conditions. Yeah. And besides, we can't even control our own mind, which wants this today and that tomorrow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so to really think about the joy that bodhicitta brings and that kind of happiness, that kind of fulfillment, and that gives our mind some strength, I think, to really think about what samsara is. Because when, when we start looking in depth about it, you know, and I'm not talking about the first kind of dukkha here, the dukkha of pain. You know, don't go to that. You know, we all know what that pain is, you know, and you can magnify it a hundred million times, but it's still that kind of pain. You got to think about the, the, uh, um, the, the dukkha of change and the pervasive dukkha of conditioning, yeah? Which are hard to, harder to see as dukkha, harder to see as, as unsatisfactory, because the dukkha of change is our source of happiness, yeah? And we don't think that the, the pervasive dukkha of conditioning is gonna affect us, yet we're living in the middle of it. It's the air we breathe. Yeah. So, you know, to see, to see those things squarely and at the same time know there's an alternative and know that there's the three jewels of refuge who can lead us to that and have that confidence, have deep refuge in the three jewels. Okay. And deep refuge, not just in the external three jewels, but deep refuge in knowing that, you know, we have heard some teachings, we've practiced some teachings, we have the opportunity to, to work with our mind in, in difficult situations, and we can do that. And, you know, to develop that kind of um, confidence, yeah, that's not blind to the situation we face, yeah. It's like people going off to war. They are so blind to the situation they face. They're all full of, you know, especially World War I, you know? I mean, every, every war, it's like this, but World War I, all these patriotic songs, and, you know, we're going off, and especially with the British, you know, they was like, people ran to enlist and, and, um, yeah, it, I know about this because on one of the flights, uh, where she picks out what I'm going to watch, um, <laughs> there, there was a documentary about World War One, which you started to watch, but it was too awful. So you turned it off, but I watched the whole thing and, and it was awful. And to see, you know, just how blind those soldiers were going into it. Yeah. And yeah, because what, I mean, what else? For anybody to go off and fight a war, you have, your mind has to be very much affected and have some reason that uplifts you. Yeah. 
And this is what government enlistment propaganda is all about. Yeah. And so these young kids sign up to do it. What, do you agree? Disagree? Okay. (laughs) I don't think that's why you did. I don't think that was your motivation. No. Yeah, you had a totally different motivation. But, you know, very often that's the, the thing. Yeah. So uh, really use what is happening in the world as something that energizes us in our own practice and something that helps us see uh, aspects of our own mind. Okay, well, we got up to verse (laughs) 5, which is where we stopped last week, too. (laughs) Yes? You mentioned having strong vows in our mind in addition to the precepts that we hold about what we are willing to do or not do. Mm -hmm. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit more? Well, when we look at the six perfections, which can be broadened into the ten perfections, one of them is the perfection of, of um, how did I translate it, um, resolves, uh, unshakable resolves. Some people translate it as vows, like Amitabha's vows, medicine, medicine Buddha's vows. I, I like the idea of unshakable resolves. Okay. So this is, you know, what the Buddhas did. They made unshakable resolves about how they were going to benefit sentient beings when they became awakened and on the path. Yeah. So to make those kind of, of unshakable resolves and even, you know, in our situation now to really, because often, um, Okay, so we we have a precept not to kill, yeah? But then when ants live in your house and invade your house, yeah? In Singapore, it's what, what white ants? There's some kind of special ant in Singapore because it's tropics that just, you know, uh, the government goes around and sprays all the time because these ants just occupy the the everything, you know, if you're not careful. And so, you know, well, I'm not going to kill, but there's these animal, these insects that are doing this and that. How am I going to deal with it? You know? And so I'm not saying everybody's going to have a different way of determining this. Some people are going to say, well, they're eating our buildings. It's okay. They're harming us. We can, uh, you know, exterminate them. Other people will relocate them to somewhere else. The extreme is you give up your whole building and let the ants take over, okay, Um, which they will do. Yeah, and then they invite all their friends to come too. Um, yeah, but there, you know, you you think uh, you say, okay, I don't want to kill them, but what are creative ways that I can minimize damage and encourage them to go somewhere else? Yeah, 
And yeah, just to, to see how we can handle difficult situations. So I have, I was, I'm a little bit conflicted because I'm going back to your sharing about the conditioning of what's, ha- well, what's happening right now in the world and the fact that we don't ever have, um, we haven't had invaders yet or we haven't had uh, people coming and coming up country lane. But I was, when you were just addressing the military, I was putting myself thinking, however, if we are here and there are people coming to attack us and there are military that are coming to protect us, I would then want to be protected Mm -hmm. by the military. But then the military is, I mean, you know, but... To be honest, Mm -hmm. if that really were happening, right? I mean, I really put myself into that for about five minutes just a moment ago. Mm -hmm. I was thinking I would want the military to protect the Abbey. Mm -hmm. And, of course, doing prayers and things like that. But you can see see the conflict. I'm conflicted. Yeah. 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 So it it is a conflict situation. That would be a situation, actually, that we would have no control over. If the military came, you know, what are we going to do? Go away, you guys? Get out of here? You know, that they're not going to listen to us. So it's, it's really a hypothetical that way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, people could come, uh, not necessarily the military, but, uh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, the the mind that wants to be protected, yeah, and, huh? Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, because we're doing something good here, yes. and we don't want to give it up because, you know, we're doing something given good, and they should let us live because we're helping the world, okay? Yeah, and and so they should let us live, and they should protect us. Yeah. And anyway, I don't want to die. I'm terrified of death. That's the bottom line. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, to think about in that kind of situation, and what kind of situations are we willing to say, okay, you know, this, this is, um, yeah, this is the time where, uh, you know, I'm going to die because we don't want to go over to the side of, of violence or whatever. Yeah. I mean, even if the military isn't here to protect us and and some people come up to try and harm, what are we going to do? Yeah. We're going to get out there with our spatulas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our spirits and our spatulas and wave them and don't you dare come near here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get out of here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, how we how would we handle that situation? Yeah. Tell them that stuck in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, welcome, you guys. You came up to here. Come on, you're going to occupy this place. Let's work on the forest together. <laughs> yeah. 
No, but really, I think in some of those situations, approaching it in a way that is totally unexpected can have a, a lot of uh, force. I heard a story about the city of 10,000 Buddhists, Master Hua's place. And at when they first went there, a lot of people came who were protesting putting a monastery there. I don't know if it was Christian groups or anti-Asian groups or whatever it was, you know, but there were groups coming and standing like right on the road outside their gates, yelling and screaming with signs and, and things like this. And Master Wa told his students to invite them to come in and give them something to drink because it was really hot out. <laughs> so they did that. They went out to the gate. They said, it's really hot. You're protesting in the sun. We don't want you to become dehydrated. Come in, you know, and we'll give you something to drink. And they gave him something to drink. Of course, they started talking to the, the people. Okay? So these kinds of things can... Yeah, but I've um, I I um, I have this thought that um, if I am alone as a woman in a dangerous situation and someone attacks me, that I have a right to protect myself. Mm -hmm. And so I I mean I would try to protect myself as best mm -hmm. as I could. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no thing about not trying about not protecting yourself. Compassion doesn't mean you don't protect yourself. Yeah, of course you can protect yourself. But there's various ways to protect ourselves. Yeah. So this whole, like, stand your ground law they have, which is nicknamed make, make murder legal, you know, that if somebody's in your space, you have the right, if you feel threatened, then you can kill them and and claim self-defense. You know, this is uh, what is kill um, the kid in, yeah, what? No, 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 not Arbery, but Rittenhouse, yeah. Okay, that was, that was, um, what was his first name? Kyle, Kyle Rittenhouse, yeah. That's what he did, yeah. But the thing is, you feel threatened. There's so many different ways to handle it. Yeah. And that's where the creativity comes in. Yeah. And, you know, some situations, yes, you have to kick and, and scream as loud as you can and so on. Other situations, you know, you, like I told you about the, the situation I heard of a woman, woman walking across Central Park and some guy was following her. This was at night and she was really scared, but she was, she had gone shopping. So she had all these packages. She's walking across Central Park and she hears the footsteps of the guy behind her. And at one point she turns around and she looks at him and she says, here, carry these for me. And she took off and he, carried them to the other end of the park <laughs> and gave them back to her. <laughs> I heard another story 
you know, about a woman. I think this happened in New York too. I'm not sure. But she, some guy was following her, making really, really, you know, oh, come on, baby, let's go out tonight. These kind of, you know, remarks. And she would just walk fast and he would follow her. And at one point, I mean, she, she had a, a, um, a signal, you know, a red light, and she couldn't go, and he's like right behind her. Come on, baby, you know, let's go, let's go out and have a good time tonight. And she turned around and she said, I'm sorry, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> and the light turned green, and she left, and the guy was like, you know. Oh, and here's a really good one, and you're excuse gonna- my kitty talk. So, yeah, and I heard this from the person who did it, is um, she was, uh, yeah, in a class, I forget where it was, in an inner city class, okay, high school class. So, you know, high school kids are kind of, you know, unruly to start with. So, she's, uh, I don't know if she's substitute teaching or whatever, so she's in the class, and, uh, you know, the, some of the young men are making it really, really difficult for her. And one young man, he, you know, <laughs> said, you know, you motherfucker, what are you trying to do here? And she walked over to him, and she whispered to him, I might not be a nice person, but I don't fuck my mother. <laughs> and that kid, it was quiet for the after that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. This is a, what I'm getting at is there are. To, to use creativity to think of, you know, how to handle difficult situations, you know, where we are threatened, you know, physically threatened. Okay. So I think we should uh, dedicate now. 